Hi, welcome to the episode of Infinite Leaders Live. I'm Lewis Keynes and our why is simple, to be better educators and to be better humans. We want to support and encourage infinite learning for everyone, regardless of role or rank, to be willing to listen and to learn. As ever, I'm joined by my pal, Alan. How are you doing, Alan? Yeah, good, thanks, Lewis. And we're proud to partner with Tsunami and looking forward to speaking with their CEO, Andrew Chambers, in a future episode. So on with today and we will continue to focus on the things you don't get taught at university or in any courses, real life lessons from real life people with real life experience. And if you've listened to our podcast before, you'll know that we'll, we, we record live and we're learning as we go and there might be a few mistakes in there. Uh, we'd love your feedback, whether that's constructive or positive praise, please get in touch. We do fully believe in what we're doing um, and we, we live and breathe our, our message and our aim. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube and Twitter and also at theinfinitelearners.com. Um, so listen, learn, share with colleagues and friends. And Alan, let's dive in. Yeah, get your pens and paper ready, guys. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom coming out of the show today. Maxine Blake has taught and managed in education establishments across the UK for 37 years before retiring in 2020. She holds a Master's of Education degree focusing on sport education. Maxine, in her own words, since retiring, has become a professional busybody and continues to scrutinise student work both nationally and internationally. She also sings with the Sheffield Community Choir and went on stage with Take That on their greatest hits tour. Post-2020 madness, she hopes to continue her journey towards becoming a travel writer as an excuse to see more of the world. So welcome to the show, Maxine. It's great to have you on. Thank you very much. My now, pleasure. don't poo in the pudding bowl, Maxine. Tell us a bit about your new book. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, it wasn't going to be my title, but everything in my book is absolutely literal. So I was an NQT back in 1983, and NQT means uh, if you're not in education, you're a newly qualified teacher. So I was fresh off that bundle of education. I had this job in a school where my old polytechnic, that's before it became a university, my lecturer said to me, if you take that job, it will ruin you for the rest of your life. I ignored her. I took the job. It was interesting. So in my first year, we had a new head and there were lots and lots of heads. So they came in and made changes. They disappeared before they could see anything happen. You know the kind I'm talking about. Uh, this particular head decided to tell the whole of the kids in assembly one morning, we'll just call everybody by their first names, all the teachers. And we stood there going, oh, didn't ask us. And then we'll do a bit of a middle school thing. Teachers, if you've got any kind of quali any qualifications or interest, I'd like to teach a few of the subjects apart from your own. So I thought, yeah, I've done a little bit of needlework and home ec, so I'll just, um, I can do a bit of that. There was a space, just wait for it, something called the Phantom Crapper that started <laughs> around school. Now you have to do this. The head would come in and just go, um, we've got somebody in school that has a bit of a problem. And we had some lifers there. We'd be like, oh, what the hell? You know, we need to get them, get this sorted out. And it, somebody was unfortunately um, producing products in the, in bowls and all kinds of things all over the place. So I was going, oh my God, I'm new to the school. What, what on earth? And I was, my head of department was off. I was this new, black teacher of 24 and I was in with um, a supply teacher who was about 60 odd so you can already see there's a bit of a difference in the experience and no experience I was in a very white working class school so I was in a home ec room one day uh, teaching something I can't remember what it was girl runs in poor Karen she's always a little bit mischievous and she's always late so I have to kind of play it a little bit easy with her she starts opening and closing cupboard doors and I'm thinking Karen come on I've got just where you need to start. And she goes, oh, found it, miss, found it. And I thought, what have you found? She shoved the pudding bowl under my nose. My head just knocked back and I look at it and go, oh my God, oh my God. And the students are carrying on, so I thought, right, right, I'll just take it off her. Arm's length, I'll take it out of the room. I just say, just give me a minute. And Karen's there gleaming, looking at me like proud as if she's discovered gold in the room. I take it to the head of needlework next door, Liz. Liz goes, is it steaming? <laughs> I think that is just not the right answer right now. I, I don't need that. Take it then, so right, not answer. 
take it to the head of the department. And she said, well, we can wash it out. And I'm just going, oh, again, not the right answer because the kids are left to cook in it, the parents will be eating in it. What, what are we? So I take it off her, I run up the corridor, open the headmaster's door, didn't say anything, plonked it on his desk, closed the door and left. That was it. So, I know. <laughs> we eventually found it. The head called a meeting one day and said, yep, yep, we've, we've found the crapper. And I thought, oh, okay. The uh, caretaker found him. And I went, oh, okay, right. It was up on them, what was it, in, on this assembly. It was in the hall, slid down the ladder, foot straight in a bowl. And I thought, oh, oh my God. So this kid actually gets caught mid-deposit, gets hoisted into the head teacher's office, who by then had changed. Secretary on the phone, phone to secretary and said, can you bring us some tea in the, with the best china, please? That was it. That was it. So we thought, is that what you've got to do to be in the headmaster's office, get tea in the best china? So, yeah, that went on for about a year and a bit. Um, and, and it starts off my story because that's my first year of teaching. So I just went, wow, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this, but it, it can't get any worse, can it really? You know. <laughs> oh, Maxine, I, I've, I've, I've read the book and it, it's absolutely brilliant. And when I, I know those schools, obviously, where, where you've worked and yeah. I went to... I went to a school very similar to where you worked, and <laughs> it must have been tough. I wouldn't, if I haven't fancied teaching one of them schools, I must admit. So, in terms of yourself, what did you get? What did you learn about yourself during those really tough times in those those inner city Sheffield comprehensives? Um, resilience was a thing that I built up very, very quickly, because when I went to that school. There was no real sense of lessons or planning or development. Um, there was nothing that was, the students weren't strict, the pupils weren't strict. There was no after school facilities. There were no clubs. There were no competitions at the weekends. And you know, you, you get used to all this. You, you train for a few years in tea, you think, yeah, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get them my, my expertise. I'm gonna show them what they can do. I'm gonna push them. And there was, it, there was literally nothing. So I had to start, and I felt like I was the enemy coming in. Because you know you've got these fresh ideas, you're all idealistic, and things are going around in your head. You went, yeah, I can develop them. I can give them something that they can go on with with their lives. And that was just so hard that first year. But I made sure that when I was there, I was going to be leaving a mark. So I developed all these clubs, and you, 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 what you try and do is find out who's the hardest kid in the school, don't you? The hardest girl in the school. Yeah, make sure you make her your friend. Because once you turn them, the others will sheepishly be following. So then we started to enter competitions and schools would go, oh, we've never ever had this school come for a competition before and I'd be taking them all over the place. And then my thing was, because these kids were inner city kids, and one of them, I remember, had, um, used to come to school in the winter with the thinnest of dresses on, but she owned a horse, and I didn't know that. It, it was that kind of area. So she owned a horse, and there'd be families who'd switch their kids to their aunts and uncles so they'd get extra social security money. So that's the kind of thing we were dealing with. And I thought, but this is the area where sometimes at the time, if you parked your car, you literally get your, your wheels taken from your car, but I knew the kids that could get it back for me. Because there was an... <laughs> Yeah, an interesting thing. And so I was really big on outdoor pursuits and I wanted them to have experience of the countryside because I just think the way that the education system is set up and with the pupils doing sport, the majority of them just don't carry on with doing netball or rounders. They don't do that. But in Sheffield where I'm based, the countryside is right on your door, doorstep. They could get a bus, 20 minutes, they're out in the Peak District, they can be walking on those hills. They don't need that many skills. And it's something that will keep them for the rest of their lives. And particularly with lockdown now where we are, we couldn't go anywhere, but you could have an hour's walk and you can be out in the hills somewhere just getting some fresh air. And so what I wanted to do was leave them with something that's a little bit different, that was different from the school curriculum that they could then 
when they have families of their own, take them out there and just experience the fresh air and the excitement and, and the resilience and just getting those into the lungs and just having a really good time and not seeing it as exercise, but something fundamental to feed the soul. Because I'm more about the holistic thing, not just the physical, but what's going on in the mind and just thinking time. You know. Let me take you back a step there, Maxine. I'm not going to go as far back as the phantom crapper. I'm not touching that. Um, <laughs> to, to tell me, what do extracurricular programs and clubs give and provide for children that's so important? Um, competition, I think, is always good. They um, Teamwork is they need to know that they can rely on somebody else, that it's not just down to them because some of them are in such dire situations that all they can do is think about how they can manage them themselves and how they can keep their heads above the water. But if they can rely on somebody else, and it, you know, it's that sense of exposure, they can tell somebody about themselves, that in itself develops some strength. And that I know that resilience word is, seems to be rolling off people's tongues, but when you're in a team, you discover you have strengths that somebody else hasn't got. They rely on you for those strengths. You rely on them for their strengths, where you have their weaknesses. So you have to work with them together. That takes you then into the marketplace where you realize, unless you're a sole provider, you have to be relying on somebody else to work. And you have to expose yourself and say, I can't do this very well. Or can you teach me how to do that? And we need to work as a community together. And I found that where I am during lockdown itself, actually, that there's so much out there and people are saying, I need help on this thing. And it's not a weakness to say I need help. I actually say it's a strength because that shows what kind of person that you are. And so I was trying to build that up in those students. You've, you've, you've mentioned the resilience word, Maxime. Now, yeah. Lewis and I often talk about this. W would we be as resilient if we hadn't grown up in tough areas of Sheffield and Rotherham? I, I don't think that I would have been. My kids have grown up internationally and I don't think they're going to be anywhere near as resilient as what Lewis and I was. Now, you talked off air earlier about the kids that you've taught in an area of Sheffield that is, is socially deprived. How does that then compare to the kids in the more affluent areas? How does that, where you live, really influence your future prospects? Um, I started my career in a, a white working class school and I've ended my career in a multi-ethnic working class school where those students wouldn't even go into the city centre on their own, never mind cross the boundaries to go anywhere else for education. So as a manager, every year we would have strategy meetings just to remind us about why we're here. Because, it, you know, if you're a teacher, you don't go into it for the money. And you know it's a lot of work. There's lots of evening work, lots of weekend work. And we, and as managers, we kind of pull things together. And you have disparate communities that you're trying to get them to work together and understand that there are common commonalities. So every year we'd get this data about um, lifespan. And so it would break my heart when I realized because of where they were living, to no choice of their own, their lifespan was 10 years less than people in the opposite end of the city, including things like all, all the health, the food, the, you know, the, the health issues, the tooth decay, absolutely everything that, you know, if you look at body fat, all those things and, and imagery, absolutely massive in that area. So the institution where I ended up, I started when, before the building was even built, was being built, and I thought, my one opportunity to try and produce a curriculum where I know it's going to be holistic and it's not just going to be about the physical stuff. I want to give them something that they can develop themselves and carry on for the rest of their lives and they can, you know, use that then with their other families. And so having now left there, only obviously for a few months, I've known students from... 10 years ago, and they're still coming back. Some of them are now doctors and teachers and lawyers. And they're saying, if it wasn't for the opportunities that you gave us, and you know, sometimes you forget what you've done. You know, I was about to be thrown out and you came and saved me and I just go, oh, I've forgotten about that. But to them, that is so important. 
because sometimes their personal situations make them react in a particular way that you just don't know about. And their lives are just so awful that they're coming to your institution because it's a refuge, not because they want to be educated, but because they know it's a safe place. And they can, they never wanted to leave the building, but they can come and sit and have a chat. Or even if they didn't want to sit and have a chat, they want to just sit in the room and stay. That was fine. So I was trying to provide somewhere where they felt safe, where they're okay, and where they could talk about stuff and where I could help them. And then there was always this thing about when we're in the classroom educating, I didn't want them to see me as a, as a teacher, as I say, just taught sport. I wanted them to see me as a teacher because it's about educating for life, isn't it? it I'm just giving them a method but with those methods and the skills that I'm giving them, I want them to be able to use it in, in different ways. And that's how I see myself. I'm, I'm, there, I'm interested there then, Maxine, where I presume that growing up in a rough, tough environment gives you more resilience. And you're actually going a little bit on another way there and saying that no, resilience is actually through opportunity developed. Is, is that sort of what you're saying? And, and actually, in those, uh, those tough areas, they don't develop resilience because they haven't got the confidence to move forward. Is, is that sort of where you're going with that? I'm, I'm going a little bit with that, but you're also thinking that people have... Sometimes they kind of shrink within themselves because they are just trying to survive. Yeah. If, if I give an example, when I had to go online this year because of, of lockdown, and then I was teaching students online. Um, you, can, you know your students, and you can hear in the voices when they're really frightened. And so some of them would be living in families where there are multiple families. And so the um, prevalence of, of possibly getting COVID would be much more, or they'd have people within their families that um, are ill. And so they don't even leave the building to go outside because they think they might bring it back into the house. So how do you then try and educate somebody if they then haven't got that level of, of self-esteem? So I'm thinking, right, the curriculum's going out the window. You just need to talk to me about how you are. And I'm just going to give you little things that you can do to make yourself much more sane. So it's about them trying to think, yes, they are responsible for their families, but also they need to think about themselves too. And it's, it's, it's the mental health as, as well as the physical stuff that I'm trying to help. I might, I don't know whether I'll just veered off a little bit there but that resilience they have is um built within the family and some of them because the, the structures are quite traditional you have to be really careful the kind of things that you're saying with the male female or the, the religious roles as well so it's the awareness of those things and making sure that what you're saying is not offending them either you know we we, we could explore so many different an avenues of what you've just said there there's so many exit points to, to a lot of rich detail I think the one that really resonates for me is it, it, it's really clear that you care and that you've taken time to build relationships and to get to know students. Um, obviously, as teachers, that's almost a given, isn't it? It, it? We're aware that that's really, really important. But how important is that relationship between building relationships and, and, and having trust with the students that you teach, but also teaching? And, and delivering content and encouraging students to learn. You know, you, we've all seen teachers that would favor one side more than the other. How do we create that perfect mix? What's that relationship between the teaching and learning and the, the pastoral care and support of students? That's interesting. This isn't necessarily a pastoral care one, but um, at the beginning of my book, um, I, I put a quote because I've given some feedback to a student for some written work and I've corrected some grammar and he looked at me and went yeah you're a sports teacher don't correct my grammar <laughs> and I just felt, oh, is that how you see me and I just go I'm actually a teacher it's not about correcting your grammar but it's about you as a person I I want to get the best from you so when they come into the class if I see they've come in the wrong way or their heads a little bit down it, I'm just going to think okay Sometimes that, that curriculum might go out the window that day and I might touch on something else that works with that child and helps them. So as much as we are pressured into looking at the curriculum nowadays, and, and we really are as teachers, we've got to tick those boxes and get through them. I'm 
I rarely go back to the staff room. I'm quite often, the doors are always open anyway, in the institution where I was. And I'd sit there and they'd just sit and just say, can I have a word? You know, and the fact that some of the toughest kids would say, can I have a word? Or just say, this happened to me today. Then I know I've got through to them. And sometimes, you know, when they ask a question, when you're teaching, and you know it's not really about the subject. You know, you, as an experienced teacher, you'll understand that. And then you, you wait around each other, you know, just, just hang on a little, little bit. Let's have a little bit of a chat. So your pastoral stuff is really important because they need to know that you understand them and that you care about them. It's not just about getting all the subjects through, but it's me as a person that you are understanding where I'm coming from. Uh, for instance. Um, yeah, I... Yeah. Sorry, Max. I, I just as as you were talking there, it just brought a quote back to me that from the book where you talk about protecting those who cannot protect themselves, and I absolutely love that. I, don't, I think that's just linked into what you said. Can you explain that a bit more to our listeners? I had one incident one day, and you know, we in the, the college I was at, quite often they come in without any pen, paper, or anything, and so this one day this. I gave him a real ticking off and went, come on, again, you've come in, you're late again. You've got no work, there's no homework. And he just said to me, my mum's left. She's gone to America. She's taken kids with her. She told me to go and live with my dad. I don't even know who my dad is. That literally shattered my whole world. What on earth do you say to somebody who's now at the bottom of the pit when even his mom has now rejected him to say, just go and live with your dad. There's his address. You know, I'm literally have to cancel that lesson and just say, okay, let's let's just sit and talk about this and see what we can do, how I can help you. And I could have thought, yeah, I'll deal with that later. But the fact that I actually heard him and I listened to him, um, that was 15 years ago. Yesterday. He was on the phone to me, chatting and telling me how well he's done, what he's done, he's got a child of his own, this is what he's doing for his child and how well he's developed. And he's, although some of those traits he had when he was at college are still there, but he said, but because you taught me all these, all these things that I needed to know and you were there for me, I know now what I need to do because he didn't have a father to bring himself up, so he had no role model. But then he could talk to me and explain that. And, how difficult is it for someone to actually tell you something like that that is so exposing? And that made me think, oh my goodness, he's got nowhere else to go. What on earth can I do for him? And you know you're going to pull a stop out for somebody like that. And for me, that's what it's about. Because you don't always see the results immediately. You might see it 10, 15 years later. That's what keeps you hanging on. It's those moments when you go, I know, I know I made a difference. You don't see it, but it's a little seed that you're planting to start to make them think, I can talk to someone. Yeah, and that, that was another exit point that we maybe could have explored uh, even earlier on. You mentioned it again there about, you know, you, you're planting seeds you can't see, that you won't see grow, you won't see the trees of those seeds. And your succession planning, you, you're creating a platform for a student to do well despite you. Um, and, and away from you and independent of you. And I know that you're a big believer that, that trips and residential um, residential opportunities are, are massive in this sort of journey for children. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, because even when they're in the institution, they are still close to home, so the behaviours are the same. And it's only when you get them away, they can literally let the hair down. Um, I, I'm a massive advocate on, on trips and exposing them to something that's just a little bit different outside the comfort zone, outside the city walls for a start. We have we have a group of students who has never travelled, probably wouldn't have travelled into town on their own without some escort, certainly wouldn't have travelled out to the Lake District. And for those of you who don't know, the Lake District, oh my goodness, it's the most beautiful part of the UK. There are hills and, and trees and just it's just the freshest air and it's just wonderful to ramble about in. So we took something like a tenth of the college one year uh, for a three-day residential. 
I wasn't quite happy about it, first of all, because I wasn't involved in, in the planning and I'm a bit of a control freak, right? I like to know exactly what's going on so I can make informed decisions. And at the last minute, I was told, right, Maxine, you're going along because you're the experienced member of staff. So I thought, yeah, that's fine. So we're taking this really um, multi-ethnic group of kids, including some Muslim, Muslim girls who had never travelled out before, and they were on this trip for three days. Now, normally, I take sports kids I know how they behave, I know what they're like in skin conditions, and I can deal with that. But I took health and social care girls who probably hadn't done this sport for, oh, I couldn't tell you how long. They weren't, they were new to the college, so we hadn't built up any relationship with them. And so we were trying to get them there where they could be more independent learners and get focused on work for that whole year. So I was with this group for um, three days. So we had an issue on day three when we were doing some canoeing and we've got um, quite a lot of Muslim girls. And anyway, we had, had to try and find um, an instructor to try and focus them and we, we just couldn't. And so the, we had a chat with the girls and said, they're absolutely fine to wear the clothing on under the, the wetsuits. So they were still respectful, they were still covered up. So I thought, right, that's great. So we took them in a minibus, we um, had canoes and we said, what we're gonna do, we're gonna get you onto the water, but so that you're safe, we're going to tie the two canoes together, okay, so that it's nice and buoyant, and then you'll be safe in the water. So we get the canoe out of the, the minibus, and I'm standing there watching, thinking they don't know how to power them, they don't know how to do anything, but let's, let's see how they do. The four of them, they're in the front, they get the canoe out, pull it down, they sit in the canoe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm standing there going, right, okay. And they just sat with their arms folded. <laughs> they really think the water's going to come to them. So I had to go out and just go, uh, girls, can you see the jetty over there? You've got to take it over. And I went, oh, okay. So it was fine. It was one of those, like, you know, when little kids ask you a question, what does this mean? They go, oh, that's embarrassing. But then you want a little bit. So I just said, you've got to take the, the canoe over to the water. I went, oh, okay. So one girl suddenly things I'm, I'm going to you know appoint myself the captain here and i'm going to direct everybody so of course a lot side because two girls on one side one girl on the other and she stands in between the strapped canoes i know what's going to happen but nobody <laughs> said so she's facing them and the girls are like we just wait chuntering to themselves and chunter if you don't know it's a bit of a grumble and it gets you know louder and louder and she's self-directing them towards the water. So she, she's got her back to the water and the, the girls are facing the water, but the heads are down. I can see what's happening. We get to the end of the jetty. The girls are still marching. And the other girl who's directing suddenly stops. She falls backwards into the water. Her arms are flailing everywhere. She's screaming. The other three look up and they start screaming. And I go, oh, here we go. I walk over to her and she's still going, oh my God, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. I walk up to her, she looks at my feet. She can see my feet, she looks up at me. She screams and then she stops. And then she starts laughing because she realizes she's in about an inch of water. So then she flails around laughing. The other girls notice this, they drop the canoe and laugh as well. And that just breaks the ice for everything. And it was just the most amazing breakthrough because then they get in the canoe their canoe, they stand, they splash each other about, and then the most amazing thing happens. They then jump in the water, fully clothed, and I just thought, I've never seen that freedom in the faces and the voices. That, that just made it for them, because the, you know when the light bulb moment just turns on, and they just go, we can do this, we're not restricted, look at this, we're in the canoe, we're in the water, we're swimming about, nobody here to watch us or, or tell us off that we can't do this we can do it and and the noise in the evening for the meals they were just chatting 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 and i went oh if i could capture this on video just to see what they were like before and afterwards that is just the best thing because they would never have got that anywhere else they haven't got the parents saying you can't do this you can't do that or you've got to be doing this in the evening they were just free to chat amongst themselves and be exposed and it was absolutely fine and that was such a joy I mean, it was an interesting trip. I tell you, every day was interesting. But that last day, oh, my goodness, just everything just fell off, literally, in terms of, we can do it, and it's fine. And they just never thought they could. 
And what benefit does that give you within school then when you get back from that experience, Maxine? Well, they've automatically bonded, haven't they? They're, they're a team. They then realised they were doing like the um, uh, national uh, coaching qualification. So they had to write up what they were doing in terms of how they felt, what the restrictions were and what the breakthroughs were. And then they end up coaching somebody else and they get a qualification at the end. So instead of having that slow start at the beginning of term, they came back willing to go because they already became becoming independent learners. They're already then inquiring minds. Rather than sitting there and you drip feeding, they were asking questions, they were doing things, they were, you know, advertising themselves to go out and be part of the community, bringing them in. And they were just so lively that that absolutely made the year and it made my job as a manager so much more easier because I had this group that I already knew, they knew me, they knew me in a different situation. They saw me my me in my pajamas. And believe me, I had to go out and buy a pair because, you know, um, you got to cover everything, haven't you, when you're out there in the middle of the night thinking, I'm in the corridor and sleeping <laughs> out the room right now and I can't cope with this. I really need to sleep. So they saw me at my lowest um, and I saw them at their most exposed. And I, at times, was thinking, it's an ant, it's fine, you're okay, you're okay, you don't need to scream. And you can tie your shoelaces and you can make it, and you can do that abseiling. There was never, you can't do it. There was always in your own time, you can do this and how does it feel? And oh my God, isn't it great? And when you see their eyes just light up and they're running and telling the mates how good that thing was, despite the fact that they were terrified, it's the, you can hear, I can do this, aren't I good? And they're boasting about it. Whereas before, when they started off, they were meek and mild and they just didn't want to do anything. They didn't want to get out of the city. They didn't want to do without the parents. That three days, oh my goodness. It exhausts us as teachers. We just don't sleep. But the students were just absolutely amazing. And then getting back in the classroom, then talk about their experiences, because they have to be out in the workplace. They have to be in schools. And they can talk about how they've overcome um, you know, their struggles to other kids who don't understand. So they've got that personal experience. And that's that. And, you know, and some of them still come back and say, I remember that trip. And you know what? And I've gone out and I've just done some walking around in the hills around Sheffield because there's plenty of those and I wouldn't have done that before. So you set something up again. You've planted a little seed to make them just go, I can do this, I can get out there. That's what it's about. It's a lifelong thing. It's not a two or three year thing when they're in college. It's a lifelong, it's a habit that I want them to try and, you know, to do and to pass it on to the family and to get out. Yeah, we, we often talk about they remember the moments rather than the time where they sat and did a maths lesson or when they sat in the classroom. They're not really, they're not moments. And as you say, when you, when you see kids that you've taught 10, 15, 20 years ago, they talk about the moments. They don't talk about the classroom lesson. Just Can we just touch upon vulnerability there, Maxine? Because they obviously see you at your lowest and at your best when you're organising. You see them the same. Those yeah. kids, it's probably really hard for them to be vulnerable because it's all about image and who's the hardest and all this. How important is vulnerability there in both cases, both for you and the kids? Uh, well, I, I can tell you also, um, it's also really important to me as a black woman and a black teacher for them to be able to see me in as many different situations as possible because they've come from even the areas that they've been in, there wouldn't have been that many black role models. And so for them, when they see me, they see me on, me on a particular stance. So if I'm going out and I'm doing something that they are not used to, so I like when they're doing abseiling, I'm, I'm fine with heights, I'm fine with jumping off and going backwards. I always pretend I'm, I'm not. So it makes them just go, oh, well, she can do it. And they go, oh, she is, oh my God. Same age as my grandmother, by the look of it. If she can do it, then I think we can as well. You know, so it's, it's about that, giving a little bit of myself so that they can just go, oh, I think I can do it. And the boys, and the boys have this thing. For some reason, they kind of challenge me. I don't know. You know, one kid even thought I was a cage fighter. I've got no idea why he thought I was a cage fighter. I think I <laughs> one day. But yeah, actually, you're fine. But you're not really. Nothing. And I didn't want to go, well, what, what am I then? You know, so, it, and, and they, they do say, we, we haven't had that many 
people that we can look look up to and we can see ourselves in you. Because I had one student who was, was in, in Italy and um, we have a few black students who then come to the UK. And then a few of them in my lesson just go, when I was there, there was not one person of the same colour as me. But seeing you here, just my presence alone makes me go, I can do that. I can do that. And when I'm in the class, if they ask me a question, I will honestly say, if I don't know something, I'll tell them I don't know. Because it's fine not to know. But what I then say is, but I can find out. Which makes them then think, or oh, if I don't know about it, it's okay to say I don't know. There's not a weakness. But what I want them to be able to do is actually, but I know how I can go and find out. And I, I never give an answer. I just say, well, you, if you find out about it, can you come and tell me the next day? Or you have more knowledge in that area. You tell me, you educate me. Because the way I teach is not necessarily upfront and giving them the knowledge. I'll say, you know, I'm going to sit in the middle. You tell me about your experience. And you tell me what you found out. And this room is a safe haven. And we bounce ideas off each other because you are as equally important in your knowledge and how you give that. And we respect that. And we will talk about all those things. You know, so it's about, I, it is dangerous exposing yourself to, I don't know, that, that kind of stuff. But then it makes them think, oh, I know something that she doesn't. So I'm going to talk about my strengths and talk about all the, all those things. And students will chip in. And then they then run the lesson. And I, and I think, okay, so let's make some notes about that at the end. And, or let's go out and practice in and, d and do that. And I understand that that's what I'm leading from the back. I'm not leading from the front. I don't want to see that because they will then see themselves as a natural leader. You, you mentioned a moment ago about feeling like you, you really need to be a role model. You know, as a, as, a, as a black female in education, do you feel yeah. an added responsibility for that? Do you, do you feel that that's something that you've got to work a little bit harder at? Without a doubt. There, there, there's never going to be a no there. I think since I was a small child and I wanted to be a teacher and my, I came from such a family where my father went, well, no, you can't. And there was really no discussion. And I was always mm. excited about things. So I just went, I'm doing it. That's what I want to do. And I knew there weren't many of us out there. And I know that every time I step out, there's this opinion about me or about people of colour that I think I've got a lot on my shoulders. But it's not just me. I'm standing on other people's shoulders. And they are, you know, they are standing on mine. So th there are those steps of support that we have. And if I can help somebody else to develop and see me as, some, as someone, yes, there are, are faults there, but they can actually see how they can get there too and be in a, 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 a position where they can talk and, you know, and develop, then that's what it's about. I do realise every time, wherever I am, and I think there are these expectations of me, um, and that's what they see. And, it, you know, it's that weird thing too, because <clears throat> even the other day, I had somebody who I taught back in 1984. And so she was part of the book and she'd messaged me and said, I feel really disrespectful calling you Maxine. I'm just going, you're 50. <laughs> <laughs> you're 50. Love that. <laughs> there is that thing, isn't there? And, you know, and she said, but, but I remember when you first started and you were the probably the only, I think, yeah, I must have been the only black teacher there. And so there is that, take a, take a breath, because I know that those black kids are going to be looking up to me to see where I'm going. And it is so much, it is so much harder, because I can't hide. I can't hide who I am, what I'm about. I have to put this thing on and just go, right, I'm going to have to battle through. They need to see that there's somebody up there they can look up to, and if I can do that, they can do that too. But I don't do that on my own. There's a whole army of people that are out there and we stand on each other's shoulders, we support each other, we have a network, you know, we, we talk about stuff, but we know those kids need to see so many more people in all different levels that they just go, they look like me. And it's nice when I go into, into the college situation, I go, they look like me. You know, so that's also important because there's, there's that familiarity where they can let their shoulders down, you know, literally let their shoulders down and go, this happened today at home and I can understand that because that's my background where with a, a teacher of another uh, minority or, or a white teacher they couldn't say that because they wouldn't understand that background but to me they wouldn't have to explain that and I get it straight away and I can talk to parents and, and when the parents come in to see me there's 
there, there's a look that we black people have. I can't explain it to you, but there's a look, and we just go, yeah, okay, we can cut through the chase. We can, we can just talk how it is. And the parents will just do that when they see me. And they, and they look at their child and they go, I know that look. I've given my So there is that straight away. And it cuts through the, oh gosh, she's a teacher and she's black and it's okay. So I can now tell you, tell you the things I want to do, whereas I, would, I know for a fact I wouldn't do to another teacher at all. So there, there's that. It, so there's that other bit of support that's given to because I am there and other people like me that are there. So d- despite feeling an added responsibility, there are there are some perks that come with that as well. Oh gosh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because you can you can have a bit of a laugh. You can just talk in your own language in a way and just go, yeah, I know what you mean. My dad did that too, and they just go, oh, did they? And I went, yeah, you're fine. You, you're absolutely fine. You know what? Just ring me whenever you need to me. Message me when you need to. Can you just let me know how they're doing? Yeah, not a, not a problem. I know exactly what you're saying, and let me just give you some advice. And they, they're just so much more open straight away because they see me, and they might see the sister, or they might see the brother, or they might see a parent and go, "Well, if you can do that, then my child can do that too." And that builds so much trust then, doesn't it? And, and so much more of a bond in that triangulation between student, teacher and, and parent. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Maxine, tell us about the Terminator nickname. I love this story in the book. I tried to play that down, but my son went, oh no, mom. Because it was funny because he actually went to my college too and I was kind of go, oh, I'm not quite sure if you really want to. And then because I'm also a manager, he used to say, okay, mom, I'm going to come to your college because, because again, he saw other people like him there and felt more at home. Um, so I, I was teaching the classroom one day and there was noise from next door and I thought, right, I need to just up my volume a bit. But the kids started to get more interested in what's happening next door and what was happening in my classroom. And then there's suddenly a bump and a bang and shouting from the teacher. So I had to run out. This one of the kids just ran up the stairs. And so the member of staff was obviously a bit shaken because there's a bit of fight that's going on. I said, what happened to the He'd been off his meds, so this, this guy had his medication. And the kids in the classroom, they were an interesting bunch. I think they had everybody in there that had problems. So it was second lesson of the day and they had, they were winding him up terrible. So the only thing he could, could do was literally lay into this other child and went, and then he just ran out of the classroom. So I just went in to support her and I stood at the corner of the door, just facing um, the top of the stairs and he was, this student was there. And uh, I just wanted her to, to calm down and remember staff really so that she was okay. Um, and then from the corner of my eye, there was suddenly just running down the stairs and literally threw me. Before I knew it, I, I really don't know how this happened. I had this student on a desk in an arm lock, and I'm just going, <laughs> and I'm like that. So I literally had him in, a, in an arm lock, and then I'm thinking, where the hell security? And then again, so I, I, he's still in an arm lock because because he's just so agitated. The other kids are going, oh my god, and they were in the room, pinned in the room, and they, I couldn't let them go either because they were just too high. You know, they'll just read all the situation. Two security members come up, puffing and puffing, really red in the face. And I looked at them, I went, where were you? And the other one security guard said to the other, I went to get my backup. And I went, you're my backup. You know, and they were like, they, they were sheepish. And they just turned away. And I thought, right, we can let these kids go, but I need to have a word with this one. We need to get the parents in because this child needs to go home and calm down. Before I knew it, get downstairs. I can hear them saying, oh, yeah. And when they came in, Maxine got an arm lock over the table and she terminated him. And I'm going, no, no, because you're now saying I physically assaulted this kid. I did not. I just restrained him. And I'm going, oh. And so it just whizzed around the college that I was, I was now the terminator. And that just went on for years, how Maxine <laughs> saved the day. And the security guards were called dumb and dumber. Where were they? <laughs> Oh, oh my god so whenever there was an incident happened I went yep yeah, get the Terminator in and I <laughs> need to stop this Maxine I went you know what it's my default thing I just it's so trouble I'm just I'm just in it and I thought I need to stop it I'm getting way too old for this kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> <Managed>. <laughs> 
an outstanding outstanding nickname for a teacher to have. <laughs> a female one. <laughs> oh, and almost like doff the caps with respect and they just sit quietly and I'd go, oh, the reputation's coming. This is a new year. They didn't even know about me, but they've heard the reputation. So I, I rarely had trouble in my class, except that one time. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolutely love it. Uh, we're going to move on to some quick fire questions now, Maxine. And obviously the Terminator is a legacy that, you, that has followed you and you've left behind. Does leaving a legacy matter to you? Is it something that's important to you? Now you've retired. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the Terminator's one, but the other one is whenever I go on the been on the outdoor activities or trips, I'm also called the safe pair of hands. I just like you to know that. I <laughs> <laughs> know that I'm the person that sweats the small stuff. I'm dotting and crossing. So well, we, we did a couple of trips in New York and Berlin, and it, there's always that big stress. Particularly again, we took a lot of Muslim students to New York, and I was stressed because I thought, oh. New York, it's America, it's a certain president, how they're going to behave, and literally it was that incident we have, and I am the safe pair of hands because I'm just watching it and looking at everybody, and I never sleep, and I'm just making sure everybody's okay. So yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I'd like the students 10, 20 years from now, two years from now, to know that I'm tough, I know I've always been tough, and they know that, but they, they know when they can cross the line and when they can't. And they know that when they're with me, they're safe and they learn. And it's not just about the physical stuff. They know that I just go, yeah, but what about what thought process is going on there? They know it's more holistic because that's what I believe it's all about, the fundamentals. And they, they're going to go away and they're going to say, Maxine taught me that. And that, that makes me so proud. And I see them and I, if I'm in town and they give me the odd wink, and I just go, I can't quite remember you, remind who you are. Oh, Maxine, remember when you did that? And I just go, oh. Yes, I remember. And the fact that they can come up to me and say, do you remember when? And now I can do that and I'm doing that. And that means everything to me. Yeah, that's it. It's the Terminator with the safe pair of hands. That's quite a legacy to have. <laughs> that's is that the twi That's got to be the Twitter headline. That yeah, is me. It's absolutely brilliant. And may maybe you've answered this next question already. Let's imagine you, were, you, could, you could rent a, a billboard just to the side of, of the parkway on Sheffield. Big blank billboard. What would you write on that billboard, Maxine? Maxine's back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Absolutely love it. And, and what, yeah, I, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. The, um, you obviously moved away from teaching now and you've retired. Um, if you had to go out for a meal then now as a retired teacher, which three world leaders would you have with you just to finish off? Uh, Dead or alive, Maxine, dead or alive. Okay. Yeah. From my early childhood, Maya Angelou is, she's so up there, I can't even describe how, well, why? Because she has come from being so, so poor with, shocking circumstances to having been a prostitute to being a leader to doing the inaugural poem for Bill Clinton to being a professor to being an actress to being a, a, a political leader she has defied everything there is to defy and when you read any of her books from the first page you're stuck into it you're, you're not living her life but you can see the hardships she's gone through and so from reading about her, you know that nothing's impossible. Absolutely nothing's impossible. So, and if you've heard her voice, oh my goodness, it's just like honey. You, you, you know you get people every now and then, when they open their mouths, they can tell a story and you just hook straight away. She, she hooked you in. She absolutely hooked you in. I have um, strong female characters that I just really look up to because I think in, 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 like in, in Jamaican culture, it's very much matriarchal. So my grandmother, who I never met, I would love her to be at the table because she's the one that my mother always talks about. And when I finally went to Jamaica and met my cousin for the first time, she's the one that everybody talked about, that she did this, she did that. And I went, 
oh, well, is that where I get my character from then and my, my strength? It's just a, it's an inner drive that makes me just go, I want to do that because my grandmother just brought everybody. I'm sure my grandfather was around, but nobody talks about him, which is really strange. strange. It was just her. We were always there. She always did this. We knew we could come to her for this problem and that one. And, and you know, and, and she's the one. Um, and then finally, um, I, I go back to my old PE teacher, Mike, because he is the one when I was at school, um, and we'd call him the action man. Uh, when I was at school, it was always traditional stuff. And I just thought, yeah, it's fine. But then he came in and he just went, right, we're doing this trip. We're going to go to Scotland. We'll do 120 miles. All you've got is your rucksack, you know, we're camping, we're washing outdoors, um, we're, we're going to walk and trek, you're going to read maps, you're going to be independent, I'm going to teach you how to do this, and he just opened up a whole new world of stuff for me. And even today, I was talking to an old, old um, uh, somebody from school, and we talked about him, and we just go, remember those days? We've done so many trips, and we have found ourselves. We, you find your tribe, don't you? You find yeah. the tribe that you can, you don't need to do anything with. You just sit there and you just go, oh, and you don't need to explain. So those guys are part of my tribe, but look, Mike just started all the whole world up for me. So that'll be a really interesting dinner conversation. Brilliant. Brilliant, Maxine. Well, thank, thanks so much, Maxine, for coming on. And do you want to just have a minute promoting to promoting the book and where we can get it from? I, well, I'm really hoping, having listened to this podcast, you'll get where I'm coming from. It, yeah, it's it's a, a memoir of all the, all the funny stuff and the humorous things that happen between me and the students. I don't know whether it's because me as a black woman or a black teacher, I think they might challenge me a little bit on some very bit personal stuff every now and then. But how I overcome them is really interesting. So please go to maxineblake.com and have a look at the bits of the blurb. Have a look at the farting pigeon. Oh, my goodness. That's an interesting story. <laughs> I didn't get it myself, first of all, but I went, oh, okay, I'm riding with that one. But yeah, it's a lighthearted look. And I think at this time of year, we need a bit of humour in our lives. And I'm, I'm hoping this book is the one that will bring it to everybody. So thank you guys so much for the opportunity to talk to you and, and hopefully bring my book out to the public. It's been a pleasure, Maxine, and it is a funny book. It's well worth a read. MaxineBlake.com uh, to find it. Tell us what it's called, Maxine. Don't poo in the pudding bowl. Of <laughs> course it is, in honour of the phantom crapper. Um, guys, <laughs> thanks a lot, Maxine, for joining us. Guys, search Infinite Leaders Live on YouTube and IGTV. Uh, we're on all popular podcast platforms too, and you can find us at theinfinitelearners.com. Until next time, we'll see you, Maxine. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye. Maxine. Bye.